All right, we are recording, and I am now at my script, so here we go. The best part of doing a podcast is writing scripts when I got downtime at work. Before you say anything, Pancake, I was waiting for mud to dry at the other job I was on. Nothing like getting paid by the man to do my passion projects. Kind of like when I wrote my first book on smoke breaks some ten years ago. If time isn't real, then neither is quote-unquote time theft. Speaking of time theft, I literally just released my episode for this week, which is all about how daylight savings time sucks, so you should check that out if you haven't already. Welcome to Red Leg Revolution, a show about community. Today we're talking about unions, the history of these institutions, the need for them, and why business unions aren't as preferred as solidarity models. We'll also be talking a bit about the industrial workers of the world. Our guest today is Pancake. Yes, Comrade Pancake, known in less intimate circles as Jason. Welcome to the show, Pancake. Want to tell us a little about yourself, like perhaps why I call you Pancake? (laughs) Sure. So I guess we can start with that. So I earned the name Comrade Pancake because we were doing OT, we're, we're hosting OT 101 and making breakfast for everybody who was in attendance, which was like 20 or 32 people, including me, who wasn't technically, like, attending, but I was still organizing it. So, yeah, 32 people. 32 people, and just uh, for breakfast, we did pancakes, and I made some bomb-ass pancakes for breakfast. Yes. Was it breakfast, or was it dinner? No, it was breakfast. In fact, so I was helping organize that training and doing a lot of legwork, and I did cooking for, like, five of the six meals that we had, and we were having a party, a social, on Saturday night, and I went inside to, like, start cooking pancakes, and Pancake and a few other comrades were already in there on it cooking pancakes, and I'm like, well, I want to help. And they were like, all right, we'll sit in the corner and entertain us, which was pretty easy because I'd been drinking pretty heavily, and I might have taken, allegedly, some substances. So it was it was enjoyable. But, yes, now Pancake is known as pancake i literally have him in my phone as pancake (laughs) all right buddy so um i have pancake on for a few reasons one just so i can have a guest named pancake two because pancake is a dear friend of mine and three he's also an active union member and organizer so he's basically the closest i get to a local expert on this show you feel flattered I do feel flattered. I don't know. We'll see if I earn that flattery, though. Well, I'll tell you, you're you've got more time, and well, you're better qualified for the subject than a lot of the organizers that we both know, just because you. Well, we'll get into it, but you know the difference between a business union and an industrial union. So intimately. Speaking of, you ready to talk about unions? I am always ready to talk about unions. Good. Because, you know, we could still be talking about your initial playthrough of Red Dead Redemption and how you're still stuck in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So my playthrough is through the, not even through the intro. Yeah, that's that's why I'm like, fuck it. If you're only playing for, you know, half hour or so, then, you know, you need to get an online character. It's a lot easier to just dip out. I'll hang out with you. Don't go into online without me. I'm I'm pretty good at online. <laughs> All right. All right. So, yeah, let's talk about unions. Um, From an article on Gallup.com from August 30th, 2022, titled U.S. Approval of Labor Unions at Highest Point Since 1965 by Justin McCarthy, quote, 71 percent of Americans now approve of labor unions, although statistically similar to last year's 68 percent is up from 64 percent before the pandemic and is the highest Gallup has recorded on this measure since 1965. The latest approval figures come amid a burst of 2022 union victories across the country with high-profile successes at major American corporations such as Amazon and Starbucks. The National Labor Relations Board reported a 57% increase in union election petitions in union election petitions filed during the first six months of fiscal year 2021. Support for labor unions was highest in the 1950s when three in four Americans said they approved. Support only dipped below the 50% mark once in 2009, but has improved in the 13 years since and now sits at a level last seen nearly 60 years ago. End quote. Labor unions are making a comeback. Why do you think that is, Mr. Pancake? 
Mr. Pancake. Um, well, mainly because corporate greed is at a all time high. Yeah. I think it's just, and there's nothing, it's just getting worse. Um, so we've always, workers and um, companies have always been juxtaposed for what they want. Workers want have a fair day's work for a fair day's wage. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. companies just want to make as much profit as possible. Mm-hmm. And they do that by cutting means wherever they can. And, and for capitalists, the bottom line is the bottom line. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter whether what they're paying the workers are fair or whether they've earned more money, if they can get away with paying less than they do. Yeah. And then I think the fact that not only are wages stagnating, we also are, it's a bit more easy to see how important it is for wages to continue increasing as we see such things as, you know, rent and food and gas going up and we are losing our buying power. So it's a lot more obvious to be like, maybe I should be making more money. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, and they really capitalized on COVID. So mm-hmm. before, usually when you're talking about inflation, inflation happens because of cost of goods or um, cost of producing something or selling goes up. And so they raise costs so that way their profit margin stays the same. But, oh, I can't remember who it was. There was a, pretty sure it was a house representative from California who gave a comparison showing um, the percentage of corporate profits has gone asymptotic within the last couple of years showing that the reason why there's inflation isn't because the, their costs are going up, but their profits are going up. Yeah. Yeah, it, totally. And I think and it is, okay. yeah, it's not even going up, but it's going up like uh, quickly. Like they're just charging as much as they can get away with. Yeah. And I think I did a episode a while back. Um, I don't remember when, but I was talking about how the fuel companies were a large part of that so-called inflation and, we were able to look and be like, you guys had record profits, which means your actual cost to distribution isn't going up. So yeah, it's pretty fucked where we're at right now. And that's why we need unions, right? So I absolutely, because that's really the only chance that workers have to get organized and um, push back against the boss. Yeah and get fair pay for a fair day's wage because we're certainly not doing that right now. So, all right. Well, what do you know about the history of labor unions? Because that's what we're going to dive into next. Ooh, history is mine. I'm probably not as well-versed as you. I know a decent high-level view of unions. Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to like just dive straight into it and we'll start talking about it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And we're not going to get like real into the weeds. Like, I don't believe we're going to talk about like Jimmy Hoffa or any particular, you know, uprisings or anything. Although I do want to do an episode next month closer to April 20th, which will not be a marijuana episode, (laughs) but (laughs) April 20th is also the anniversary of the Ludlow massacre. And we're not going to get too much into this, but I, I need to do an episode that's just about here's when they killed the the workers, here's when the workers fought back and like not just through voting and stuff, like literally racked a shotgun and were like, All right, we're gonna shoot you now. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. But oh go ahead. You, uh, labor unions like started rising during the industrialization mm-hmm. of our country. Yep. So um, like late eighteen hundreds, uh the big industries were Really, it was like, I guess, mine workers and railroad were the yep. some of the biggest early unions. Yep. So you're like, so we're talking like late 1890s. So this is before any um, major legislation that would protect us. Like, so before the National Labor Relations Act, Railway Labor Act, yeah. um, Federal Labor Relations Act, all those, no laws yet. So there's no such thing as a grievance process. The grievance process was whoever had better aim and had the most weapons or people to fight. Yeah, pretty much, um, which was often bosses because they had yeah. the money. So. Yep, Pinkertons and National Guard. Yep. Local, hey, local so, police, militia. Side effect, did you know that uh, the Securitas Security Agency, which is the modern uh, incantation of the Pinkertons, actually sued Rockstar for using Pinkerton 
the name in Red Dead and eventually dropped the case because Rockstar was like, whether you guys like it or not, you are a huge part of Old West history. And the judge was leaning toward, yeah, you guys are just kind of fucked on this. You know, you shouldn't have been such douchebags back in the day. Oh, so they weren't suing for use of their company name, but it was like tr- like trying to say it was libel or slander. Yeah, yeah, and it's like oh. no, it's it's not slander. There's a mountain of works that showed you guys were dick bags all the way down to Alan Pinkerton. <laughs> Talk about trying to whitewash history, right? Right. Yeah, um, we're not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm I'm glad that we only report the truth nowadays and don't ever try to rewrite how things happened in the past that never happened and never will (laughs) all right please please yeah so i've got a write-up from unionplus.org i did not see a author or published date but it's unionplus.org who i've you know gotten a lot of info from so quote The origins of labor unions dates back to the 18th century and the Industrial Revolution in Europe. During this time, there was a huge surge of new workers into the workplace that needed representation. In the United States history of unions, early workers and trade unions played an important part in the role for independence. Although their physical efforts for the cause of independence were ineffective, the ideas they introduced, such as protection for workers, became part of our American culture. End quote. So now... We go to a write-up entitled Labor Movement, updated on March 31st, 2020 by History.com. We'll be referring back to this article a lot in this episode, just FYI. All right, so here's the quote. Quote, The origins of the labor movement lay in the formative years of the American nation when a free-wage labor market emerged in the artisan trades late in the colonial period. The earliest recorded strike occurred in 1768 when New York journeyman tailors protested a wage reduction. The formation of the Federal Society of Journeymen Cordwainers, Shoemakers, in Philadelphia in 1794 marks the beginning of sustained trade union organizations among American workers. The early labor movement was, however, inspired by more than the immediate job and interest of its craft members. It harbored a conception of the just society deriving from the Ricardian labor theory of value and from the Republican ideals of the American Revolution, which fostered social equality, celebrated honest labor, and retired, relied on an independent, virtuous citizenship. The transforming economic changes of industrial capitalism countered to labor's vision. The result, as early labor leaders saw it, was to raise up two distinct classes, the rich and the poor. Beginning with the workingmen parties of the 1830s, the advocates of equal rights mounted a series of reform efforts that spanned the 19th century. Most notable were the National Labor Union, launched in 1866, and the Knights of Labor, which reached its zenith in the mid-1880s. So, yeah, do you know anything about the Knights of Labor? I do not. I have read that article before, and I remember seeing that. Yeah. So we're talking about Knights of Labor, and they're the like, I know they're late 1800s, and um, see, remember they doing some. That's what it was. It was um, May Day. Yes. Remember research and stuff on that. Yes, and that's where I first came across them in general. They were big backers of that and did a lot of the organizing around the original Labor Day, which, of course, regular listeners will know. I've done a couple of specials about May Day, and you should go back and check those out if you want to learn more about real Labor Day and then fake Labor Day. So, (laughs) yeah, the Knights of Labor were pretty cool. If I remember correctly, Debs was actually a member, or actually one of the primary organizers of the Knights of Labor before he went on to found the Railroad Workers Union, as well as the IWW. So, all right. Labor unions are older than the United States. I'm not even going back, like, way back to when guilds, the early predecessor to unions, were formed, or to the first recorded labor strike in history, which was apparently in ancient Egypt, like 12th century B.C. Now, that might be another show, but we've got a lot of ground to cover. What was that? Oh, I just, I had zero idea. Then went back that far. I honestly didn't either. Like, I feel like I somebody said something about that at some point, but I never did the research. But then when I was pulling through this, I, I came across that when I first started my research and was like, oh, uh, I need to narrow this scope. I don't want to try to cover, you know, 2,000 years of labor history. Right. 
<laughs> so, uh, the idea that workers deserve a fair shake is almost as old as the concept of money. Throughout centuries, we've seen the balance of power tilt this way and that, and sometimes favoring the workers, but usually favoring the bosses. And every step is a cobblestone in the path of organized labor. So, how would you define organized labor? Just as a general concept, I would say when workers are acting in concert or acting together to for a common good or for common workplace wages and working conditions. Yeah, that works. That's right. Organized labor is when workers band together to enact power in the workplace. Now, this is where we're going to start getting into the weeds here. So up to now, we've been talking about unions as a whole, right? Well, now we're right. going to divide them into two categories to kind of understand okay. the differences. We'll do a little contrast. So what, if, if, if you don't want to tell us, that's cool, I've got it in the script, but how would you um, describe the difference between a business union and an industrial union? Uh, well, business unions, whew, how to put it, because it's one of those things like you just know versus trying to put into words. Yeah. Um, business unions are usually they're organized around a specific type of craft. So mm -hmm. like plumbers, electricians, and then they also, their main focus is organizing workplaces to collect dues and to have some type of harmonious relationship with their employer mm -hmm. to further the purposes so like it's they're not solely looking out for the workers they're usually having some kind of deal struck yeah to have, make a balance mm -hmm. so it's almost as if they're more they exist more for business than for the workers that's how i always took it yep i guess yeah cool so yeah. to uh further illustrate what you said that's a a great definition but we'll do a little example, a little thought experiment here and, and demonstrate it. So close your eyes. Imagine you got a grocery store. I mean, you don't have to do this pancake because you just gave us the, the definition. But listeners at home, close your eyes. Imagine a grocery store. Let's call it, I don't know, food and stuff. It's a mid-level grocery store. has its own in-house butcher, a bakery, and a small store-owned coffee shop. A business union would organize the stores by trade. <clears throat> what exactly does each department do? The butchers would be in a meat cutter union. The bakers would be in a bakery union. The baristas in yet another. Uh, coffee makers, I guess. The cashiers and bag boys would be in yet another union, and so on and so forth. Everybody would be in a different union, except for managers who are not allowed in unions. So this is advantageous for management, especially in a world without class solidarity. Say the baggers have a labor issue. Let's say they had their wages reduced. This doesn't ostentatiously affect everyone else as their contracts aren't being attacked, and thus there's no incentive for the bakers to stand up and take the risk for the baggers. After all, the bakers are going home with a full paycheck. This model allows the bosses to play both sides against each other and reassure the boss's dominance in the workplace. A solidarity model, or an industrial union, would organize the employees of food and stuff by their shared employment location. Instead of having a baker's union, a butcher's union, etc., you would just have the food and stuff union that negotiated on behalf of all workers at that location. So, yeah, we're about 20 minutes in, so I need to throw some ads in here. I made some new ads over the weekend, and I hope you guys enjoy them. But when we go to ads on my show... I ask everybody to plug something, and it doesn't have, a t have to be a group, it doesn't have to be personal projects, it could be a thing, it could be a concept. I plugged standard time for my last episode, so if, if you could give a free shout-out or commercial to anything or anyone in the world, Pancake, what, what would you plug? God, just putting me on the... What would I plug if I had to plug something? Yes, because you do. I have to plug something. Yes. Well, shit, I don't know. Usually it would be the IBW, but I don't feel like this would be the episode to plug in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably don't take this to your next, you know, <laughs> board meeting. <laughs> no shit, yeah. Especially like, hey, here's how business unions suck. Exactly. By the way, join the IBEW. Right. 
I don't know, man. My favorite podcast is like um, a very leftist podcast, and they did like a whole mini series about how the police suck. And then for a while, they were getting sponsored by the Washington State Highway Patrol, and that's even more ludicrous because somebody paid for that ad time. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess maybe I would plug Labor Notes. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a good organization yeah. plug for this. That's a very good one. Labor Notes is an awesome resource. In fact, I went to the store earlier and was wearing my Troublemakers Union <laughs> beanie with the little slingshot. <laughs> All right. So uh, I am going to plug Pancakes because they gave Pancake his name. So... <laughs> All right. Plug. Oh, oh so we're, we could plug anything. Huh? Yeah, literally anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would plug Labor Notes because I like them. They have a lot of free online trainings that would help you, whether you're in a union or not, to help make your workplace better or help make your union better and take control and go yeah. back to the workers and not from the bosses. And you know how you a great way to help organize your your workplace is to have a pancake breakfast. So this episode brought to you by Labor Notes and Pancakes. We'll be right back. Here's some ads. <laughs> hey y'all, capitalism sucks, but Benavie Farms and Nursery is part of my community. Benavie Farms and Nursery is Kansas City's local sustainable nursery whose main focus is saving our little buzzing comrades, the bees. Bees are a primary pollinator for the world's food supply, and their species are declining at a rapid pace due to destruction of their native habitats. Benavie Farms and Nursery realize the importance of not only growing your own food, but also saving the bees. At Benavie Farms, they specialize in perennials, pollinators, and produce, so you can support a community initiative, plant a garden, and save the bees all at the same time. We talk a lot about food security on my show, and the first step is growing your own food for yourself and your community, and you can do that while saving our pollinators. The staff at Benavie Farms are knowledgeable, friendly, helpful, and inclusive, and can't wait to help you start or expand your garden this spring. To learn more about a sustainable no-till urban farm, go to benaviefarms.com or find Benavie Farms on Facebook. Bob was just a normal suburban guy trying to make ends meet until one day everything began to change. I guess I'll log into Facebook. Hmm, that looks like a fun main page. It came for him without warning. He had no idea what dwells deep in the swamps. Hey, they also just give away seeds and stickers. It had him hooked, and he didn't even realize it. Well, produce is getting expensive, and I've always thought about starting a garden. The beast from Florida is coming with one goal. Hey, and I could give the extra vegetables away too. Anarchy. Well, maybe it's just best best if we all help each other. Coming to a post office box near you. The Skunk Ape Liberation Union. I just got my hours cut again? How can I pay my bills? Yeah, it sucks, especially since they only pay us minimum wage. But what can we do? Solidarity Man. That's right, fellow workers, it is I, Solidarity Man, champion of the working class, and it sounds like you need a union. A union? That's right. What power on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? So, a union makes us strong? That's right. Alone, you can do little to change your situation, but together, you can move mountains, and the industrial workers of the world are here to help. Huh? The IWW is a union for all workers, no matter the trade, job, or career, and we want to organize your workplace. Wow. Where can we find the IWW? In your hometown. The IWW has branches all over the world. Check out IWW.org to find your local membership board or join as an at-large member and start your own chapter. After all, our greatest superpower is working together. I must go. I hear another exploited worker calling for help. But remember, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. Away! And we are back talking about pancakes and labor unions. <laughs> All right, uh, where were we here? Uh, solidarity models, that's what we were talking about. 
so like I was saying, a solidarity model or an industrial union would organize the employees of food and stuff based on their shared employment location, yada, yada, yada. This model is preferable. It builds stronger collective power, inspires solidarity, and makes sure that the employees only focus their attention on the bosses as antagonists. It helps the employees of our hypothetical food mart understand that an injury to one is an injury to all. Most importantly, <clears throat> as we organize individual locations, it's much easier to unionize other stores in the chain. Just as one person has less power than a union, a business union has less worker power than an industrial one. So, do you have uh, any thoughts on that? Do you agree, disagree? Do you just want to scream into the void? The, the mic is yours. <laughs> okay, so do I have any thoughts about industrial union, the power of an industrial union versus a business yeah. union yeah yeah i guess in general not even so much like the difference in like how who they're organizing but the structures in mm. in general so oh, yeah typically when, when you're talking about industrial unions it is the bottom up yeah and it puts the workers have to be more involved because usually we don't have full-time officers or not even part-time it's either all voluntary or very little pay yeah and so it does rely on the workers which is the point of unions and so it makes sure that power stays where it's supposed to be yes. which is with the workers totally um with business unions the power gets transferred into the very similar model to businesses where you have one leader at the top yep. then you have workers and then you have the people <clears throat> underneath that and everybody's going to rely on the people at the top to take care of the problems yeah which is how businesses operate which is why we form unions because the people at the top do not take care of the people on the bottom right business unions are just uh businesses with extra steps that, that's right and then usually businesses end up a lot of times infiltrating and corrupting the people at the top so yes you, they are trying to take away their profits and their freedom to operate yeah um flexibility is the trendy word that businesses like to use yeah i'm gonna have the flexibility to change your schedule or your pay or your yeah benefits right and that's why scoring a long-term contract from a business union is so difficult because they want to the businesses want to be able to come back every year and renegotiate and be like no we're actually not going to give you a we'll give you a pay raise but it's not keeping up with inflation so it's really a pay cut type thing <clears throat> that's correct all right, um, so now we're going to talk a bit more about industrial unions, namely the one that I personally am most closely associated with. You know, the one I run a commercial for in most of my episodes. Unless you're one of those impatient comrades who skip the commercials, in which case you have no idea what I'm talking about. So that's on you, homie. Don't, don't get at me. <laughs> Let's talk about the industrial workers of the world, or the IWW. So, I know you've got thoughts on these so i'm gonna read through this little bit and then i will uh jump to you and you can add in whatever you want sound good okay okay sounds good all right from encyclopedia britannica.com and the entry about the iww updated on february 10th 2023 quote industrial workers of the world the iww by name wobblies labor organization founded in chicago in 1905 by representatives of 43 groups the IWW opposed the American Federation of Labor's acceptance of capitalism and its refusal to include unskilled workers and craft unions. End quote. The IWW was founded after a series of labor conflicts across the United States, but namely the Colorado Coal Wars. A lot of the same organizers of the IWW were involved in the various stages of the Colorado Coal Wars. I'm going to eventually do a whole episode about the Cold Wars, probably closer to the anniversary of the Ludlow Massacre, since I find that period of labor history so interesting, as it contains the industrialization of the American West and the dying days of the lawlessness in the frontier. Plus, I've actually been to the Ludlow Massacre site a few times, and it's powerful to stand where our fellow workers died for labor rights. <clears throat> but back to the IWW. From IWW... That's all, folks. Right. Back to the IWW. From IWW.org in the About section. Quote, 
The IWW is different from many other labor unions in our focus on the fundamentals of turning workplace problems into winnable union demands, the relationship you build with your coworkers. Some people have the impression that organizing a union at your job is just a matter of you and your coworkers signing a piece of paper that authorizes the union to bargain on your behalf. But unless you are organized and ready to take action over issues that are important to you, the legal paperwork is just window dressing. The only way to achieve lasting gains is with a durable, long-lasting labor organization at your job that is built on strong relationships among you and your coworkers ready to back, you, back up your needs with action. The IWW will provide you a support tailored for your situation to help build that organization. End quote. So before I go on, anything to, to add? Um, hmm. I don't... <laughs> It's cool really. if you don't. We've we've got more to say about the IWW, so okay, yeah. So we'll jump back into this, and yeah, just let me know if you got anything you want to point out. So, <clears throat> the IWW. Hold on. <coughs> Fuck. Had a frog in my throat since we started this. Okay, the IWW believes in a few different things that business unions believe. First and foremost is the entry from the original preamble to the IWW Constitution states. Quote, the working class and the employing class have nothing in common. There can be no peace so long as hunger and want are found among millions of the working people and the few who make up the employing class have all the good things of life. Between these two classes, a struggle must go on until the workers of the world organize as a class, take possession of the means of production, abolish the wage system, and live in harmony with the earth. End quote. Ooh. You can tell I'm wobbly because reading that gave me shivers. <laughs> All right. So business unions believe in capitalism. The IWW does not. The IWW works to destroy the wage system, and its actions are planned with that in mind. Your run-of-the-mill business union doesn't have a vested interest in destroying the wage system as a business union is exactly that, a business. So anything to add yet? Yeah, so I can tell you um... – since I'm also a member of the IBEW, mm-hmm. that for instance, in the our their constitution, our constitution, um, some of the objects at the beginning, and I'll just pick out a couple to show the difference. So one of so the objects of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. So one of them is to cultivate feelings of friendship among those of our industry, to settle all disputes between employers and employees by arbitration if possible. So this we'll stop right there. So right their main way to solve things is through arbitration, which is a pseudo court style. Yeah. So no talk about direct action. No talk about taking things into our own hands. Yeah. No talk about stopping work, work stoppages. It's about just talking things out. Um, yeah. So that, uh, there's well, one in here I was looking for, but. Well, to, to build on that, <clears throat> we're going to talk a little bit more about my days with the UBC. But I went when I was unemployed in 2019, we had a informational picket going on at a location in the plaza because a St. Louis contractor was paying uh, was not paying Kansas City wage for the work they were doing down there. So I volunteered to go. They offered to give us a $50 per diem. I denied taking the money because it was the right thing to do to just show up. I didn't have anything better to do. And I did what I do at, at protests. I showed up with my guitar and a drum. And I'm standing on the street corner playing, you know, union songs. And not 10 minutes later, me and the, like, five other guys are jamming. And, like, 10 minutes later, a car full of BAs pull up. And that's business agents for you non-trade people. And they're like, yeah, maybe put the guitar away. And I'm like, but aren't we here to, like, make noise? And they're like, yeah, but not that kind of noise. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what are we even doing here if we're not trying to? And, I mean, again, I've been an activist for 20 years. I spent most of my life on street corners yelling about one thing or another. The whole purpose of standing on street corners is to get attention. So I thought thought it through and was like, oh, because they, this isn't an actual, like, power play on behalf of the union. This is still within the scope of their business relationship with this company, and they don't want to offend this company that's technically a union signatory, even though they're doing scabby shit, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
business unions. So that's right. <clears throat> the other one I was thinking oh, of, go ahead. Yeah. talk about uh, promoting harmonious relationships or uh, maintaining a harmonious relationship between the employer and the union. Um, and so typically that's looked at similar to what you're talking about is even though it says maintain harmonious relationship, you always assume you have that. So even if they're doing scabby shit, you, mm-hmm. you by default are not supposed to upset your, the bosses. Yes. Totally. Even when they're upsetting, while they're upsetting your workers, your brothers, your sisters, your comrades, fellow workers. Yeah. And we're going to actually touch a bit later on that. So put a pin in that, but definitely keep that thought in, in your back pocket because we're it's going to come up and be relevant here soon. So <clears throat> as much as we're sitting here dogging on business unions, I do want to take a second to acknowledge that while I think business unions are not the best way to organize the working class, they do have their value as we work toward a better future. I'm not someone who's so radical that I think business unions are detrimental to organizing. In fact, many business unions do help radicalize working folk. It's just a shame that so many union members still vote against their own interests. And this isn't just a dig at conservative union members either. Trade unions are overwhelmingly liberal and support capitalism as the best economic model. Now, this is speaking of people at the top when you get down to the actual rank and file, not so much. But if you're a regular listener of the show, we've demonstrated time and time again that capitalism is inherently immoral and dangerous to, well, everyone. So while business unions are better than no unions, they're still way off from actually representing workers. So, yeah... And the conservatives in the union are are a real big issue. We're not going to cover this too much, um, but a big reason that trade unions, particularly I speak of the carpenters because that was my experience. When I was a union carpenter, 97% of carpenters were male, and it was like 88% or something of carpenters were white. And... As much as there's been efforts in recent years to expand those roles and like trade fairs at high schools in the inner city or active like the women's and the trades council and stuff like that, we're not seeing we're seeing a lot of pushback because so many union members, at least in the trade unions, are they drank the Kool-Aid and they're hardcore right wingers. They cannot see how the whole concept of unions are left wing to begin with. So how how do you yeah. deal with that in in your line of work there, Pancake? Just the conservative nut jobs who vote against their own interest. I don't. I I don't. That I I, I try to educate. Um, yeah. Talk about what's going on. It's also hard when, because, usually a lot of people always think, um, make everything into a two choice dilemma. Yeah. You know, so let's yeah. it's either left or right. Um, Democrat or Republican, but and we can go well beyond politics. But people always boil things down to two choices and make it sound like, well, I got to pick one of these, so I'm just going to pick the one that I like. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to so because that is exactly what goes on. Republicans are very vocal. With are we allowed to talk about Republicans? Yeah. Or should we just no? Say yeah. It right? yeah. I mainly okay. bag on Democrats, but that's just because I made it very clear in my first few episodes that I fucking hate Republicans. But yeah, go for it. Dump on them. So Republicans are very anti-labor. Like they're very bold about it. They, um, for instance, they've uh, tried to file national right to work laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, state levels, they actively go for right for work, right, right to work. Which yep. for anybody who doesn't know what right to work is, is when you can be in a union where the union relies on membership dues from the people who are working to help fund its efforts to negotiate and protect your rights. And they make it so you can enjoy those without having to pay for them. So which helps defund unions and make them weak. Yep. Um, Democrats, on the other hand, at least I will say the one good thing I like about Republicans is that they are honest. Thank you. Um, Yes. They, they, uh, they're anti-labor and they don't hide it. Democrats say they're pro-labor. They say they're for the um, people of color or women, minorities. But then, and so they do that long enough to get the vote. And then once they have the vote, then they just pretend like they have to negotiate or settle or compromise. Yeah, their hands are always tied. Yeah. And so like the 
Democrats, when they're in power, they go like maybe one step to the left and then Republicans go two or three steps to the right to take away rights. And then Democrats talk about, look, you need to vote for us because mm-hmm. we're trying to help you. And it's, yep. um, it's a shell game because they're funded by corporations too. And even if their corporations are quote unquote good corporations, it's still corporations. And so they are still anti-labor yes. at the root of it. Yeah, I've always said the difference between me and a liberal is a liberal will sit here and say 50% of all billionaires need to be women or black or whatever. <laughs> and I'm over here like, like, how about no billionaires? <laughs> uh, yeah. So you need to be oppressed by all people, not just white men. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about my experience with the union. I actually pancake and i met i had been in the union just about six months when you and i first met so yeah taking me way back all right so the first union i joined was the international brotherhood of carpenter and joiners i was a union apprentice for three years until the start of covid my disillusionment with the ubc started when the longest job i was sent to was building a private prison for core civic That was a difficult decision I had to make when my business rep sent me there. It was either sit on the bench and watch my bills pile up unpaid, or go further the diabolical goals of the prison industrial complex. I was really torn and actually had to take a few days to decide if I could actually do it. I got in contact with a retired carpenter who also does a local prison reform show on public radio and asked him about the morality of it. He told me that union carpenters have always helped prop up the oppressive systems, such as building prisons, military bases, and exploitative retail hubs. Eventually, my desire to have a roof over my head and food in my belly beat out my politics, and I took the job. I also took the job because I suspect knowing how to construct, and thus deconstruct, a prison might be good information to have in the future. You can't Shawshank out of a prison unless you know how the prison is built. Unless you're Andy Dufresne. (laughs) So there's a dated joke for y'all, for my little Zoomer listeners. If you haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption, go get your ass out there and pause the podcast right now. It's like a three-hour movie, but it's a fucking masterpiece. Go watch the Shawshank Redemption. Come back when you're done. That's that's your homework. (laughs) All right. Right. So I struggled with all that, the morality of it. Then the job ended in early February of 2020. Within a week, I was sent to build luxury condos for retirees. Again, this was in early 2020, so it took about a week for me to catch COVID as there weren't yet restrictions put in place. That was the sickest I've ever been, and by the time I went back to work, after having my foreman calling me daily to see if I was coming back after I was only out for three days, and at that point we were saying two-week quarantine, Uh, I eventually came back, and when I did, the union had mandated COVID safety measures by then. But at the job site I was on, it was ran by a rat general contractor. For my non-trade friends, the general contractor, or GC, is the one responsible for the whole job site, farming work to the trade unions individually, and also supposed to be in charge of workplace safety. The last one is key. Despite my multiple complaints to my union about lack of masks, sanitizer, social distancing protocol, and hand-washing stations, the GC refused to shut down. They eventually brought hand sinks but put them outside next to the porta-potties. Now, it's late February, and, you know, we used to get cold winters, so the hand sinks were outside. The water froze, so they didn't work. Not to mention the hand sanitizer stations weren't filled a single time that I worked there, and I worked there for like two months. And social distancing was impossible as the hallways we were constantly working in were only five feet wide. Naturally, I got COVID again, and I began to wonder who my union was working for, the workers who were getting sick or the big companies hell-bent on making money even as their employees caught a damaging illness. So any thoughts about unions and COVID before we go on about my sordid tale as a carpenter? So I would probably say that our experiences were slightly different. I don't work construction, so I came Mm -hmm. up through generations. So I worked at a um, power plant, which by design, those also make it harder to be union because when you're construction, you're working out of the hall itself Mm -hmm. as a hiring hall. And so you can see yourself as a union member first and then 
whatever contract you're working for is temporary. Yeah. Um, when we work at Generation, you hire in with a company that just happens to be represented by a union. Yeah. Um, but they ended up taking COVID. From what we saw, at least on the electrical side, they took COVID seriously enough to make it look like they care. So all the measures that were cost effective and didn't affect bottom line were mm -hmm. typically implemented. Um, it's one of our energy centers, though. They would not. They did something very similar. So when workers, there's some people you cannot replace to run a power plant. Yeah. So when workers were positive with COVID and they were sick, but still well enough to technically come to work, they would have them still come to work. Mm -hmm. sick and contagious with COVID, but then they would just have them sit in the corner of the room working. <laughs> and so that way they could say they were social distanced or isolated from healthy oh, workers. I, I almost think that that's more disgusting to me than what I, what I went through. <laughs> I mean, cause my, and it really shows where your priorities lie. Right? Yeah. So, um, one of the stickers idea, we sticker ideas we've had recently, um, had to do with, wearing stickers and it says um my employee number is and then crossing out employee and putting um part number and then <laughs> writing and showing that that way because if companies look at you as a just a part yeah. that you can easily replace versus a person yeah you're just a component we'll order another one off amazon and it'll be here in two days yep. all so right we're gonna need another one yeah totally just keep it all going and i complain to when I first got COVID, I complained to my foreman with my company, and he was kind of like, yeah, we're, we're figuring that out. And they were at that point. And then after I came back, and after, particularly after I heard all the guys talking about how, oh, it's a hoax and all this, because, again, primarily conservatives, and I was like, okay, even if they enact you know, and enforce decent protocols, these guys aren't ever going to follow them, you know? Like, masks were always down. People were still coming right up on me to, to talk to me. And I'm just like, you know, I just got back from being sick for two weeks. Leave me the fuck alone. Stay away. Wear your damn mask, you know? So if the UBC yeah. had... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it reminds me of some stories. So I wore masks longer than most of our tradespeople that we represented because... You know, people, I, it's a sign of masculinity on how willing you are to expose yourself to harm. Yeah. Apparently. And uh, so when I would try talking to people while wearing a mask, they would often pretend like they couldn't hear me or couldn't understand mm -hmm. me. But yep. basically insinuating that I, you needed to pull your mask down. Yeah. So that way you could talk to them. And it was fucking frustrating. <laughs> yeah, totally. I had a few people do that right before I was like getting to the point where I was going to drag up and quit. And, I had some guys give me shit about it one day, and so I, and I was actually getting sick with COVID the second time, so I didn't know it, but I felt funky. But I, they're like, yeah, I can't understand you through your mask, and I'm like, all right. So I pulled my mask down, and I was like, as I was saying, <coughs> and they backed away real fucking quick. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd be standing in line at places, and I could hear people making fun of me. And then I would turn around and let them know, like, well, I was wearing a, I'm wearing a mask because I'm tested positive for COVID this morning. <laughs> and then uh, I wasn't, but then they would back up and get pissed that I'm out. And I said, well, if it's fake, like, why do you care? Yeah, right. If, you know, yeah. it's it's all a hoax. You can't get sick. Yeah, right. You can't die from yeah. it. It's just a cold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, 2020 was a wild time with the lack of toilet paper and back when for like for me at least like for six months the government actually functioned but that was for me and i know it wasn't functioning for a lot of other people namely the you know thousands who are dead from covid complications yeah. so speaking of 2020 um what else major happened in 2020 it seems to me like there was some sort of major social upheaval in the summer of 2020 i don't know yeah. uh oh yeah a yeah. little bit of writing, or not writing. Let me go Up. back. A little bit of a uh... shit. Now I can't even think of the word. Uprising yeah. is a good word. Thank you. Yeah, I don't yes. know why. <laughs> That's what I've got in the script. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes up people who are doing uprisings can have a little riot as a treat. <laughs> 
So icing on the cake. Exactly. So the uprisings of 2020 happened, and I I was really active in those. I you know I've go check out my episode about me, haha, <laughs> in the last episode of the first season, and I go more in depth as to what my efforts were during the uprising, but I was very involved in it. And at the same time, I was in a bunch of union groups. And more often than not, the carpenters would say stuff like, these protesters should be shot by the police for rioting, or try blocking my car and I'll run you over type stuff. I realized that if this, if these people knew I was a leftist activist, they wouldn't watch out for my safety on the job site. Further, most work in the trades is obtained by word of mouth, so if I was open about who I was, a queer, polyamorous, Buddhist communist, I wouldn't ever get work but from the hall. That was the last straw, and I dropped my card in mid-2020. So, yeah, I, I remember doing that. And I remember one of my friends who knew I was a union activist um, I would mention that I was in the union in some Facebook post, and I was like, actually, I dropped my card. And she's like, why the hell would you drop your card? And uh, she's a person of color, so as soon as I explained all that, she was like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. Good luck on your own. So, yeah. Uh, you got any thoughts on that or, like, how things were for you during 2020 during that time? It was very similar um there people had heard a lot of the same comments about an uprising um people would post a lot of memes about like have monkeys beating on cop cars mm. uh do paint job on my truck and it look like blood splatter yeah um and though while i am more i am more open because i typically throw my safety to the wind caution to the wind and yeah. so um but yeah so people will make those comments around me no one's trying to um piss me off and get me riled up yeah and it's frustrating because those kind of uprisings are exactly how we got our rights fact, yes when we were talking earlier uh the eight hour work day was won by a general strike of hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of workers yep um, well you would what they would probably say, I can't believe those lazy people are wanting to work less. Like, how are we going to, how are we going to support this country on eight hours a day? Right. And then we see that same kind of attitude in today when, you know, you see right wing union members sharing memes that say stuff like, you know, I work hard to pay your welfare bill or something. It's like, yo, you guys remember our whole history was about trying to work less and still make enough money. Like, it's these things aren't mutually exclusive like you can help other people and help yourself just find a moral center or something <clears throat> yeah so yeah um there's a lot more to cover on this subject like the wine garden rights the lack of women and people of color in the trades the corruption of big unions think jimmy hoffa how labor unions could have prevented many workplace disasters including the recent train derailment you should go check out my episode about that and the fascinating history of organized labor in the united states but I think this is a good primer this is this is a good place to stop we've established some ground groundwork and I'm sure this is a subject that I will either come back to with you or on my own but you know now that you hopefully feel a little more comfortable doing this you can you can officially be my union guy <laughs> oh I will uh do so do you mind if I go back to those uh, uprisings real quick yeah totally so do you remember at the height of the uprisings and as it was getting towards the end and they kept going without really slowing down do you remember what finally got it all to stop mm. or one of the last things the government did no so towards the end after they're given lip service they made june juneteenth a federal holiday oh yeah yeah and it kind of died off well that is not the first time the government has done stupid shit like that to try to um give workers something that they weren't asking for but to get them to stop so that's how labor day yes. came about also I knew I knew that's where you're going and I'm like, yes, bring it home, pancake, bring it home. So um in the late eighteen nineties that people were um basically doing the same thing. They were striking for eight hour work days and I think it was uh 
trying to look real quick. President Cleveland. Yes, it was Grover Cleveland. Yep. And um, he chose to pick September as Labor Day, also because they didn't want to have association with May 1st, which is International Workers' Day. Yep. So everybody was striking. They're up in arms. Nobody was saying, I, we want one more federal holiday. Yeah. But that is what they chose to do. Right. And it helped. And it did exactly what it was designed to do, which was to get workers to quit being so upset. They yeah. Said, Look, we did something, even though it was nothing that you're asking for. And we see that all over the place in so many other areas. For me, what pops to mind immediately is healthcare. You know, when we were doing the healthcare debate back in the early 2010s, most people were mm -hmm. like, yo, we want a public option. We want universal health care. And Barack Obama, a Democrat, was like, eh, maybe maybe we do this individual mandate thing so we can still have the insurance companies that are funding my campaign. And now yeah, I still don't uh, yeah. I still can't afford health care. <laughs> and then we'll actually uh, tax you if you don't have health. care. Yes. Yes. To help you. Exactly. You know, it's like the old Vietnam saying, we had to burn the village to save it. <laughs> oh, this country. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, you got anything else to uh, to say before I wrap this sucker up? Just in general? Hmm. I don't know. Should I? I I don't know if you there, want there, to. you're right. This was this barely scratched the surface. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely I've I've done a lot of these episodes in my second season where there's so much more to say, and I'm like like now we're already at 54 minutes, and you know I'm gonna probably cut about five minutes worth. So we're just barely scratching the surface. But this is something that you know honestly I could do a 12 hour series on. But I get bored researching any given topic for that long, even unions, which right. I have been researching for years. But it gets to the point where I'm just like, okay, I've written 3,500 words. That's all I'm doing right now. Now let's go gripe about daylight savings or something. Well, I just want to throw out a couple, idea, a couple of things that I thought of that we hadn't talked about. And I don't think there's really room in the episode or even to go back and splice them in, but... So one, one of the things I was going to mention was the IBW Constitution actually specifies communism. And it says this brotherhood will continue to oppose communism, Nazism, or, or any other subversive ism. And it pisses me off. Like right fucking there. Fucking like, Sparkies, man. Y'all dump on wood ticks. But man, fucking Sparkies. At least carpenters don't have shit like that because our founder was a fucking socialist. Shout out to Peter McGuire. And then... um. There was an essay I had read a lot. I don't know. It's been five or six years ago. And just talking about 19 in the 1920s, they had the American Federation of Labor, their convention, mm -hmm. and they voted to expel William Dunn, who was an IBEW member, for out um, publicly stating um, that he was a communist. <laughs> and, and part of his quote that he was saying, he was given a chance to be heard. And he said, I make a distinction distinction between you international officers and the membership, drawing the same salaries as the employers, living in the same hotels, eating the same food, belonging to the same fraternal orders, hobnobbing with them in their clubs. What do you know or care about the eternal struggle of the wage earners? And I really like that. Yeah. But it's also very disappointing. Based. Very based. Uh, yeah. Well, the AFL was founded in 1886, right? So less yeah. than 40 years, and they're already fighting against people who just wanted everyone to be treated the same. Right. The point of labor unions. Well, and I think that goes and shows you how quick, like, any good thing can be corrupted. I'm writing a script to do with my buddy Joe who are uh, about, like, leftism in general, and I kind of expound more on my political philosophy and it's why I consider myself a theoretical communist but a practical anarchist because I believe that there's no way communism is going to work without people who are more motivated by their own ends will rise to the top and that's what happens with the unions you can get in there well with business unions you can get in there with the most noble intentions but as you rise up you're like why would I just or uh jeopardize this lifestyle I've built for myself and people very quickly switch from 
yeah, let's burn the whole system to, well, let's burn the parts of the system that doesn't serve me and the parts that serve me. We'll just, we'll hold on to that. Oh, can I tell you one more thing that this guy said? Well, yeah, totally. So he went on and said, Sam Gompers, who mm-hmm. is the person who founded yeah. um, the AFL, American Federation of Labor. Sam Gompers, head, head and shoulders above 90% of you intellectually, also despises you. Gompers understands you. He knows your prejudices and your ignorances, your preferences and your idiosyncrasies, and he plays upon them as a violinist does upon his instrument. He wants no intelligent leadership, and he sees that none develops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, he's calling everybody a dumbass. Yeah. In polite, old-timey language. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is <clears throat> this is just a primer. So we will definitely come back and discuss all this stuff because there, there's a lot that we are, again, leaving out. I mean, we're... I, I want to touch on the next Union episode that I do, talk a bit about the <clears throat> Pullman strike and the efforts of established trade unions in early days to uh, keep out African Americans and why that Jeez, yeah. drove them to strike breaking and caused a lot of the racial division and labor history that resonates to this day. I mean, there's so much more that that we could talk about, but yeah, that can, will yeah, oh, go ahead. directly talk about um, how unions and um, social issues are intricately tied and in that a labor yeah. issue, social issues are labor issues. Yes. Um, I don't know why I can't think of, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Not social. They are social issues. Yeah. But when you're talking about like civil rights, civil mm. that's what I was trying to think of. Civil rights. Yes issues are our labor issues yeah martin luther king had very strong feelings about the three evils uh that afflicted the united states and that was capitalism imperialism and racism but we've whitewashed dr king to be this all he talked about was racism and a big part of his issues with racism were economic issues in fact when dr king got assassinated he was organizing a multicultural multiracial garbage workers union in memphis when he got killed but we we don't hear about that aspect you know it's just the i have a dream guy who wasn't radical at all i was gonna say yeah like in fact they were i think they were on strike too Mm -hmm. down there in memphis yep and he was also supporting that strike Mm -hmm. yeah dr king a badass and one of my personal heroes yeah so uh that is I think, well, let me, I guess I should bring it up before I said that. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I have for a script outside of, so listeners, join a union if you're not already part of one, either the one at your workplace or the IWW. If you don't have a union, work to start one. The IWW can help because an injury to one is an injury to all, and our only hope is each other. So, yeah, normally we do pluggables at the end, too, where people plug their social media or their personal projects or whatever. So you can plug whatever you want. You can you can plug ice cream or you can plug labor notes or the IWW or whatever the fuck you want to plug. Um, I would. OK. Yeah. So I would, again, second, uh, make sure you get involved and get organized. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a local labor union or industrial union to reach out to somebody who knows because knowledge is power. And so there is, the system is not set up to be worker friendly or to try to help you know yeah. your rights. So please reach out to people, Chuck or myself. Yeah, I'm, I know for me specifically, I know a decent amount of labor law and I'll be more than happy to help you navigate yeah. that and earn your rights that you deserve in the workplace. Yeah. Mutual aid for the win. Right. So. Anything else? I don't think so. What okay. about you? What are you plugging? Oh, I, I plug this show at the end. <laughs> I remind people. In fact, now is a great time to do it. To remind people, you can find me on social media, Red Leg Revolution on Facebook, Red Leg Pod on Twitter. I am on Reddit at Red Leg Pod. You can help financially support the show by becoming a subscriber at Red Leg backslash just look me up on anchor or wherever you get your podcast and there's probably a hyperlink back to where it goes subscribers get 
early access to episodes, one subscriber exclusive episode a month, and again, I'm eventually going to get video up so you guys can see all the faux Italian hand gestures I do while I'm recording these, and uh, yeah, that, that I think is all that I have to plug. So, um, I guess we are out of here. You should go join a union, motherfuckers. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Totally. Fuck Ronald Reagan, union-busting motherfucker. So, fuck Ronald Reagan started the downward spiral of American labor. Yes. Go to hell, Reagan. And I hope you're enjoying your time there. Alright. We're out. This has been a production of 419 Media.